It's Cofield and Company. 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 Who puts y'all in charge of snack distribution? With Steve Cofield. Then I seen him. I seen Steve. And Adam Hill. Adam Hill is usually so fair, so reasonable. Uh, That's shocking to hear something like that from Adam Hill. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you listen on Fridays, normally I come in, scream on Rebecca Black on the party and party and yeah, but man, maybe not on this Friday. We'll see how the show goes over the next four hours. Ugh, just a freaking gut punch, gut punch to all of Vegas last night. Ugh, that sucked, I guess, except for the... Uh, Montreal Canadian Sands, who decided to come across the border and I guess stay here for two weeks. And <laughs> just in case there was a game seven, they were going to be in mass at uh, at the Fortress. Yeah, so a lot of Golden Knight stuff today. They're out. It's over. Uh, hopefully we don't get any calls from uh, radio people telling us to only talk about it for 10 minutes. Um, old reference, inside joke. To reference back to Stanley Cup here. And, uh, you know, we spent like a half an hour kind of reminiscing on what an amazing year, that Stanley Cup final year, um, what an amazing year that was in an expansion season. And, you know, some someone calls up and they're like, that's enough. <laughs> Not enough of this. Uh, we're going to spend a good uh, 40 minutes in this hour talking about the Golden Knights. We'll hit it in every single hour. Darren Millard is going to join us from the VGK broadcast team at 315. We'll check in with one of the uh, jabronis in Montreal if they're uh, done flipping cars and breaking up police cars. That'll be in the uh, the four o'clock hour. And hoping to track down Elko, Linda Cohn, Ari, guest booker extraordinaire was, was like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna save Elko. Want to have her on Stanley Cup final? That's the time." <laughs> the heavy skid last night. Slam on the brakes. Freaking nightmare. Uh, we'll open the phones three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. We'll get your reaction. To what happened this season, what happened in the series, what should happen looking forward. We had a lot of good feedback last night. Very melancholy audience on our late night podcast. So the phones are open for you guys to uh, let it out on the Golden Knights. 364-1100. Adam Hill is the company today. Ari's here as we're in the Finley Toyota Studios. Um, I guess... If you built up a real hatred for Montreal fans, I guess you can take a little glee and the fact that they're such morons that they were destroying their city last night, which I still don't get. And I really haven't gotten a good explanation for anyone in Canada why Montreal fans, win or lose, go effing crazy and just start tearing up their city, which is is so weird. But they tore it up. It was it was it was fiery. And then the other weird thing about last night of uh, the atmosphere for the game, you still got a very limited number of people in the arena, but then tens of thousands are allowed to j- jam together shoulder to shoulder to hang out right outside the building. Like if this yeah. this is safety protocol, I don't I don't really get that one. It's it's weird. Now it's a cool scene. 
I love it that they're into the you know into the Canadians that much. You shouldn't wreck your city. You shouldn't be attacking police cars. But it is what it is, and it's a big moment for them. They haven't made the Stanley Cup final. They won it uh, back 93, 94. Um, so it's been 28 years. So you get it. You get the frustration, kind of. As we set things up, just to put it in perspective, like you get it, right, Adam? You get why why this is such a big deal for Montreal to make the Stanley oh, Cup finals. And it's sure. like it's the freaking hub of hockey. It's the most historic place in the NHL. Yeah, all those things, and it's been so long, as you pointed out, uh, since they've been there. Uh, they take pride in it. They they love the sport there. We know, you know, we know that even when the Canadians aren't in it, they're they're you know following the sport and loving the sport, and they're all about it. Um, and as you mentioned, the history, like they, they've they've won quite a few titles. They've raised the cup many times, but it's been a long time. Yeah. So for like this generation of fans. They haven't had the success uh, that they have in the past. So, for their favorite sport to you know finally have success once again uh, in their city, and you know that's a sports city that has lost the Expos and um, you know had they've been through quite a bit, not even in hockey uh, outside of it. So, yeah, this is a great moment for them, um, and they may not get to celebrate again because they're going to be a big underdog in the series. Maybe I'm starting. Is, I'm starting to think that uh, we'll go through their style of play. That maybe they're going to give the next opponent a lot of trouble as well. Uh, Carey Price, one of the heroes of the series, the dude just gets it. It's funny. I saw someone post a comment from 2008. Twenty-year-old Carey Price back then in 2008, right when the uh, Habs won the East, the regular season. Think about Nashville and all the banners they ha- they, they hang up. You know, for finishing whatever, having a great regular season. Uh, Carey Price back then at 20 years old said, quote, they don't hang conference titles in this rank. They raise Stanley Cup banners. So that's the expectation. It's been a long time. And congrats to Montreal. Their, their style of play freaking stymied the Golden Knights. Completely underappreciated. We'll hear from some of the Golden Knight players who are like, yeah, they their style, it got us. And it's something we need to examine. It's something we need to examine about the way the Golden Knights roster is built, their style of play. Are they... I don't think they're as, as good in terms of you know winning over and over and over again, but they've made three of four conference finals now in four seasons. Is this team like the Jazz of the NBA right now? Like, hey, they, they, they can win 60 games in a regular season, but they ain't going to win the title. You know, are they, let's go even more crazy, like, you know, the Atlanta Braves, right? Braves had trouble winning, finishing it off and winning World Series, but they had longevity. Because they had great pitching. Like, is this a team that is simply built for the regular season? So we'll get into that. But let's just talk about the game first. I suppose a lot of fans are heartbroken. But it wasn't shocking the way it went down. The overtime goal, that that sucks. But it was just, it's been the same thing in the latter part of the series just the anemic nature of the offense and then the friggin' breakouts the other way. And it was it 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 just happened again. I thought I actually thought the the overtime sequence is like a perfect encapsulation yep. of the series. Yep. In that the Golden Knights had a shot on one end <laughs> where uh Chandler Stevenson draws the defense away, finds a wide open Max Pacioretty with Time, space, plenty of plenty of room to set up, take the shot that he wants to take, 
and he fires it right at Carey Price. Right at him. And then you go to the other end, and you get a rush, and you get, you know, Philip Deneau making a play where he draws the defense and then kicks it to the outside for just a wide-open shot. Uh, because, you know, you're, you're, you've got a rush. You've got, you know, the defense uh, playing the, the man with the puck, as they should. you got Leonard leaning to that side because that's where the puck is, and it's right in the middle of the ice, and there's, you know, that's the threat. And then, you know, kicks it outside. Lekkinen has a wide-open shot, and he buries it. Like, that's kind of how the series went. Golden Knights get their shot, fire it right at the goalie, and the Canadians make a play where they get a wide-open shot. And you saw it, you know, too many times. You saw too many rushes. Uh, you saw Robin Leonard once again bail them out of a couple of those yesterday. But you know, at some point, you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to make hero plays over and over and over again. And there was, he had no chance at that one. And that was that's just kind of how the series went. They get a wide open shot. Knights have a wide open shot, but they hit, fire right at the goalie. Uh, Rob wants to chime in three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. We got four hours on the way. Uh, lamenting. Uh, what happened last night? Maybe not what happened during the season. We'll try to put it all in perspective, and we're going to get your feedback throughout the the show today on Cofield and Company. And your feedback's very important. Your feedback's very important. We want uh, we want calls today. We want you guys to be part of the show. Rob is up. Hey, Rob. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. What's up, man? Hey, it pains me to say this, but Adam Hill, you're a genius. <laughs> um, the first year, remember when you said that, you know, when we made the Stanley Cup, it was the worst thing that could happen here. And, you know, that's kind of coming true. And, Steve, what you said earlier about the team built for the regular season, I think, you know, there's going to have to be some changes. We need to have some net front presence, somebody in front of it um, all the time instead of three guys grouped to the side or behind the, the end line. And then our defense has got to get faster. Uh, they just ran past them, uh, most of that. You know, and the goaltending's not an issue. I'm just curious what you guys think uh, could be happening up on the horizon, and thanks for taking the call. So let's address the defense. How can you have the number one defense in terms of uh, goals allowed during the regular season, and then you have a comment like Rob saying, hey, they're not fast enough? Yeah, I don't know I don't know if the speed on the defense – I think it, it's, it could be a slight issue. I mean, you've got, um, you know – you got a mix of some older and some younger guys, and uh, you got a pretty good defense. I think a lot of, you know, their success during the season of not allowing goals was their goalies are very good. Uh, but yeah, I think the defense. I think the defense is good. I think you can add, you know, a player here and there. I know the, you know, the 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 third pairing uh, was always kind of uh, in flux. You know, back and forth between. You know, you've got the the young players who are coming up and developing, and you've got like an an older guy like a Nick Holden. Uh, who was in and out of the lineup a little bit? Um, I, I don't think the mix of players was necessarily that bad. I, I I thought the the reason that they were exposed a little bit defensively was more what was happening on the offensive end and what was you know the offense that was getting caught in not making plays and then allowing rushes the other way. Um, sometimes that's you know they do have some offensive minded defensemen and that that is that's an issue. The defense was the ones that were scoring all the goals and now you're exposed defensively a little bit, but. Um, I'd, I'd thought more uh, the offense stagnating and the offense having trouble in the neutral zone in particular 
is what led to a lot of the rushes the other way. Lots to get to. Three, six, four, eleven hundred. Looking for your feedback as the uh, Golden Knights are out. They fall short. It's not a failure, but listen, the standard's been set, uh, and it was set a couple of years ago when Gerard Gallant, a Stanley Cup final runner-up coach, was booted. Hey, the only thing from there in terms of goals is actually winning the Stanley Cup. They're not going to win it again this year. It's not a total failure, but we've got to examine what just happened, what's the problem with the power play, Uh, some of the star players, especially up front, were not great in this series, and what exactly is going on and what happened with Mark Stone, 364-1100. The phone lines are open, and we want to hear from you. Call 702-364-1100 and tell us what's on your mind. Center zone for Montreal. Dano sneaks in. The pass across. They score! Arturi Lekkanen wins it in overtime. And for the first time in 28 years, the Montreal Canadiens are on their way to the Stanley Cup Final. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. All right, Ari. We got it. Vast sound crew. We got it. All right. We don't need to hear the freaking Canadians winning overtime goal. Stop. Roger Sportsnet on the call there. 364-1100-364-1100. We're uh, leaning on Adam, who, of course, uh, covers the Golden Knights on a regular basis for, you know, what he saw not only in the game last night, the series, but also the season. We're looking ahead as the show moves along to what, the Knights to need to do. Maybe they just bring it all back. Maybe, you know, and just a little bit, you know, some adjustments. Maybe they don't catch a bad break going against the Montreal system, which, my God, it looked good, didn't it? It looked good. It looks like they can really challenge for the Stanley Cup against the Islanders or the Lightning. Uh, let's get out to Richie. Richie wants to react to what he saw with VGK. Richie. Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for having me on. You got it. Um, lots of thoughts about last night's game, the series, the, the season, so I, I may ramble, but I'll keep it short for you. Overall, when people try to compare, hey, is this team built for the regular season, not built for the playoffs, three out of the four years we've been to the conference finals. And in that second year, you're like, all right, whatever happened in game seven against the Sharks is what happened. But as far as last night's game and the series, I blame that completely on the coaching. Um, in my opinion, if we're hearing it here in Vegas that, hey, whoever wins this Colorado series against the Golden Knights or Colorado is going to most likely go on to win the Stanley Cup, you know the players are hearing it. They know they haven't played any Canadian teams all season. They're coming up against a team that has a losing record in the regular season, probably overlooking them and already looking towards the Stanley Cup. And it's up to the coaches to keep these guys in line and keep their eyes on the prize in order to get through a team like this. And by the time you're already down 2-1 in a series, 3-2 in a series, and you're trying to make adjustments, it's probably already too late. So that's why I blame the coaching on this. And as far as going forward, oh, my God, if we could have won a face-off in that series, then that probably would have changed something all around. So that's just my take on you know, a little bit of what's going on, what I believe with the team. So I will say that you're right and you're wrong, and and everything you said is right. Like, yeah, if you're if you're buying into the you know the narrative that the winner of the Colorado Vegas series is going to win the Stanley Cup, and you know you get through that and and you step back and say, all right, that's it, we've won it, it's over. 
then yes, that is a huge problem. And that would be a huge issue. Uh, I just don't think that happened. I, I you know, I, I think it's, it's fine that the narrative was out there and that the media wanted to talk about it and that the, you know, the analytics sites, if you look at it, um, you know, the one that I follow really closely every day, uh, it would shift back and forth. Whoever won the Knights avalanche game, their odds would, you know, increase exponentially uh, that they were going to win it. So all those things are true, but I don't think Pete DeBoer was telling them, hey, guys, guess what? Win this series and it's over. Win this series and you've won the cup. And then after they got through Colorado, I don't think he went in the locker room and he's like, all right, that's it. You guys did it. Congratulations. <laughs> like, I don't, I just don't think that happened. So, so yes, what you're saying is absolutely correct. If they felt that way, that's a problem. I just don't believe they felt that way. And I don't believe they coached that way. Three, six, four, 1100. Dylan is up with Cofield and company. Dylan. What up? What's up, man? Rip the, rip the city off of that sandbagging idiot Stone's jersey. And get rid of the so-called he could go kneel for the national anthem on some other team. Thank you. Have a grateful day. I didn't hear what players were talking about. Who Reeves? I don't. I don't know what that meant. Yeah, I don't know. All right, three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. Uh, we'll bring in Robbie reacting to the Golden Knights season. The Golden Knights lost to Montreal. The Golden Knights lost as a minus five hundred series favorite. What's up, buddy? Hey, how you doing? Um, I just wanted to say, with the whole regular season thing, I think it's more of we don't score in the postseason. We have troubles, and I think we need to find someone. And to me, I think Eichel could be that guy. All these stone lovers, I mean, I like the guy. Patch already, he, uh, he scores. But I think stone is the problem in the postseason. He goes on these long droughts. And people don't seem to want to let go of our so-called superstar that disappears for games at a time. Uh, that's just all I wanted to say. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, let's address it. I mean, that's one of the elephants in sure. the room. Mark Stone. Is he hurt? He said he wasn't. I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that he was. I, it has happened a couple times in the playoffs. Um, we've seen him disappear for series, but we've also seen him early in the, early in the playoffs play very very well. Um, I I do think. That part of his, uh, not his entire game, but a lot of his game is built on on kind of deception. Like he doesn't look like he's going that fast. It, people are kind of taken off, taken off guard by him. He's very very good with his stick, like disrupting everything other teams want to do, and that sets up his offense. Um, a lot of his game is based that way, and I do think there's there's something to when other teams are like that guy's not beating us, they can shut him down. I think that's there's there's definitely a part of that, um, and then it has a spillover effect because he's he's a goal scorer, but he's also the setup guy. So yeah. then it starts to affect patches. Sure, yeah, I, patches I think, is not the setup guy. Yeah, I think there's part of that. Now, I I will say I think Mark Stone is a very very important piece, a very valuable piece, and I like I don't think that that's somebody that they should think about moving on from. Um, I I think that he's. He's a very vital part of what they want to do and what they want to build. We saw they made him a captain. They paid him a lot of money. Like they want to build around him. And I, I, I do think he's a very, very, very good player. You were bothered by the fact that the captain didn't speak after what, game five? Yeah. Only because listen, he doesn't have to speak every game, and he mostly does. Right. Like just because you're the captain, I know you're expected to speak most of the time. And when we're in the locker room, you're expected to kind of stand there and answer the questions and all that. But in this Zoom world, it's kind of different. He does pretty much every day. 
But I do, I do wonder the the, uh, the other folks who you know are stepping up after the game, if or other people look at that and they're like, "Come on, where's the captain? Like I, I'm, I'm doing this." Yeah, but like I like said, I, he I, does. I don't, this is a totally different situation. But I always thought it was really weird. Totally different situation. But someone had to step up, or someone's had to step up during that Astros cheating scandal. And I always thought it was really weird that Al Bregman uh, and some other guys didn't step up. And it's Carlos Correa out in front. Like, what, what is going on here? So I, I agree with you. I thought it was important. It didn't break the team. So it doesn't so mean you have to get rid of Mark Stone. You Just a small it. thing, you know. Come on, let's go. You referenced I just want to make sure people understand what we're saying is that he does speak almost every game. He almost always talks. He's almost always there. And after game five, where he had a pretty egregious blunder in the game, and I, I would say you could question effort on one of the plays uh, from Mark Stone, that's a game he decides not to address the media, which, uh, again, not a huge deal. And I think a lot of people look at that, who cares? But there is an accountability issue. And there's like, hey, like when you're going to get pressed on this, and and there was specific questions directed toward uh, other players and to Pete DeBoer about, hey, what about Mark Stone? Like, what was he doing on that play? And then he's not there to answer it? Like, again, I don't think you should have to speak every day, but in a situation like that, you probably should. Chris is on Cofield and Company. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Uh, big fan, first off. Thanks. Um, I wanted uh, actually to get both of you guys' thoughts on the mentality of the team after that gaffe by Flurry in that game where it was a hard-fought game. They're down, came back, you know, time running out. He makes that blunder, and Montreal ends up winning the game. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on how that, you think, mentally affected the team going forward in the series. I I think it's a great question. Um, We'll never know. You can't read somebody's mindset, of course. Like, you you don't know what's in their mind. But let's look at it. That error happens. They lose a game that they look like they were going to win and be in control of the series. And then what happened afterwards? Now, you can say, hey, they won the next game. But how'd they win that next game? Zero high-danger chances allowed 18, and Robin Leonard steals the game for them? So, so yeah, they didn't have a good effort. And then they come home for game five, put what I think most people would agree, especially those that watch the, the team every day, um, was probably their worst performance of the season. In game five at home. And then yesterday was okay. I thought they looked better at times. They fought. Uh, they tried to, you know, scratch and claw and avoid elimination, but they just didn't have enough. So, yeah, I, I th- like I said, I don't, I don't think you can just circle and say, hey, that was it. But two pretty poor efforts after that. And then, you know, losing yesterday in a game that they played fine, but not, you know, not well enough. Um, yeah, I think you can point to that play and say, uh, things change a little bit, but again, you you can't read exactly what what the mindset of of anybody was, and I will tell you, nobody's. It's not like anybody's coming into the post game and like after that play, we just we had nothing, we just couldn't get it together. Ari's right, waiting for more of your calls. Three six four eleven hundred. We'll uh, reshuffle some of the calls that are on hold right now. Three six four one one zero zero. We're getting great comments on Twitter as well. So your thoughts on what you just saw and what needs to happen and. Listen, if you want to call in and go, this is insane. They've made the conference finals three or four years. How can people be complaining today? Fire in as well on that. Like Maybe we all need a reality check. This has been pretty damn good. This run has been freaking scintillating.
The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. La rondelle revient à la ligne 2, la sortie de Gallagher. Voilà Gallagher, franchissant, rentre la rondelle. Belle passe à Dano. Dano court au filet, la transversale au direct. Anthony, le Canadien et le Canadien s'en va Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Uh, the French call stings even more. You just want to punch someone in the face when you hear that. Uh, that was courtesy. Good call. Very excited. I understood all of it. Uh, 98.5 in Montreal. Yep. Montreal has moved on to the Stanley Cup final. I can't even believe I'm saying it. Especially because I was uh, I was a horse's ass. I'm not going to say, I was one of many. But after game one, I'm like, all right, I mean, come on. It's a Canadian team. Man. Very limited. <laughs> this is the style they play. Oh, it's a style they play. Oh, and it worked. And yes, the team with, what, 56 points in the regular season is in the Stanley Cup final. And the Knights are not. That, that, what that, the hell? That is also the, the 56 points thing and the, the low point total thing. Um I was making. I was talking to some people the other day. I was like, "We really need to stop with the hey, they didn't play well in the regular season." It's possible that the Canadian teams were all just awesome. They didn't play anybody else. They only played. Really, Canadian I haven't teams. heard that one at all. Right, but because I think the opposite has come out. Well, up until this level, up until this level of the playoffs, everyone was like, "The North sucked." That's why the Canadians made it through. Well, that's what everybody's saying. That yeah. like everybody said that all year because they're like, "Oh, they're, you know, even the the fourth place team can't even have a winning record. It's just terrible up there." What if they were all just really good? Like that's wow. that's a possibility nobody's really thinking about yeah. because you just had this narrative that all the Canadian teams sucked. Well, like it's possible they didn't. Like, you don't know because they didn't play anybody else. Scott is up on Cofield and Company, ESPN 1100, 98.9 FM on a Friday. Scott? How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing all right. Love we're trying to examine what the hell just happened. Well, um, it looks like they stopped skating the puck. They stopped skating the puck through the neutral zone, and they stopped skating towards the net. If you notice on the videos and the games that uh, they get to the offensive zone, they pull up. They pull up. They don't go. They don't charge the net. They pull up, and they look for that pass. Well, that pass doesn't exist. So when you get to the playoffs, you get you face a better team, you face a better goaltender, and and that's it. You guys got to deliver the puck. If you go to if you drive the net, three things are going to happen. One, you get a score. Two, you get a shot at goal. Three, you get a penalty. That's it. And they and, and the Golden Knights failed to do that. And I sat back and I watched the game, and I was just I was embarrassed as a fan. I was embarrassed. All right, Scott, what do you want them to do? It's, they need better coaching. Uh, they need to get lessons on uh, you know the tactical elements of the game. They need different players. What do you want? I want better coaching and I want better communication with the with the players because these guys are making nine, eight, ten, twelve million dollars a season. Yeah, I want them to step up their game. Yeah, sure, sure, and, and, I, and for the for the uh, just so you know, or the, uh, the 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 media, I don't care how many games they played in the last month. This is what they do 
this is not their second job. This is exactly what they prepared for. So don't give me this they're tired stuff. That's unacceptable. And that's why we lost. All right, Scott. Yeah, Montreal didn't look tired. No. That's, they look no. like the faster team, especially especially when things turned around in transition. All right, Scott, thank you. 364-1100, 364-1100. Scott, check that. Keith is on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, Keith. Reset him. 364-1100. Uh, no one has mentioned the power play, which is really a mind-boggling number for the playoffs. Four of 43 and an offer in this series. And I, I think it's it's not a stretch to say that if you just scored, you know, three, four yep. power play goals, yep. scored out the right way, yep. it's a different series. You win the series. And, and it was... Here's the thing. It was a problem during the season. And and I I, I talk about this. I harp on this all the time. And I know it's, it's annoying because it's tough to understand. But sometimes you look at results and you're like, hey, what's the problem? And during the season, they were one of the best teams in the league. Yes. And their power play stunk. Do you want to pat yourself on the back for the mo- one of the most important questions at the end of the season? No, it's fine. No, it's I fine, want you to I mention didn't. it because you got a rash of crap for it. Because it doesn't matter what's going on if it's good times and you ask a critical question. It was an important question at the time. So after after the final game of the season, they won up in San Jose. And uh, I was on the postgame presser and I said, you know, it's a great season. You guys, you know, tied for the best record in the entire league. But the power play has been a problem. Like, can you win in the postseason if the power play continues to play like this? And Pete DeBoer answered the question. He he didn't have a problem with it. He answered it. It was fine. But people were like, they won. They had the best record. Why are you bringing them down? Like, it, it's, it matters. Everything tightens up in the postseason. Yeah. And you also don't get as many power plays. So when you get them, you have to freaking execute. And in a series that was razor thin, every game was freaking close. Yeah, whatever. Outside of two that ended up, you know, four to one. But the, even though the, the, if you go back throughout the game, they're close games. Yeah, power play goal here or there on either side makes a gigantic difference. But I think the bigger issue, and it's it's a it applies to all sports and 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 across the board. But it's sometimes when you're winning, or when something doesn't go wrong, you mm-hmm. ignore that there's an issue. And so when they have the best record in the league, they're tied for the tied for the most points in the entire league, and you you feel like it's nitpicking to point that out. Just like here's the other thing: for how many game, how many days was I saying like, man, Flurry's misplaying a lot of pucks behind the net. Like they haven't they haven't cost him yet, but it, he keeps doing it, and it's like who cares? They're winning. He's playing great. They haven't given up goals. Well, at some point, like those things do end up mattering, and and you can't just say, well, it, it, uh, what I say all the time: the lowest form of thinking in the world is results based thinking. It's yes. like who cares? They won. Like, yep. Yeah, but you have to examine the little things even when you win. Jeff is on the phones on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, Jeff. Hey, guys. Uh, good to talk to you. Love the show. Thank Thanks, you. Um, all good points. Um, grew up in the uh, Detroit Red Wings era, um, so a little free agency, a lot, a lot different. But four-line production, I, I think, is, is huge. Um, I, I think also when you look at some coaching moves, uh, I, I don't agree with flipping goaltenders in the uh, in this series. I, I, you know, these guys are professionals, and I'm sure – uh, they they bounce back from that kind of thing, but I still think you cr- uh, create a question mark uh, when you're flipping goaltenders at this point in the season. So uh, I think they need some more line production. I think they need 
some guys that are gonna they're gonna that are gonna do it. And and I I'm not a big DeBoer fan to be honest with you. I just just I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's a great coach. All right, Jeff, strong stuff. We'll build on it in the 3 o'clock hour. We're about uh, 25 minutes away from a convo with Darren Millard. Yeah, we got to get into DeBoer and especially the coaching in terms of fixing the power play. And we certainly will address what happened with the goaltenders in this series. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio. All right, let's flip the page. We'll get back to the Golden Knights reacting to the season being over in uh, the 3 o'clock hour. But we are big fight fans. The fights are coming back, especially on the boxing side. And here in Vegas, we got a real aggressive schedule coming up. Uh, we always lean on this guy as he's doing the uh, three knockdown rule podcast. Steve Kim, especially because he knows Mario Lopez, too. So Adam always wants him on. What's up, Steve? Guys, how are you? I, I'm actually in the Virgin Hotels. Uh, yeah. This week I drove in for the Lomachenko fight. I hope everything's well with you. How is it? I haven't been over there yet. Well, it, it's like business as usual. Very few people are wearing masks. Everything seems to be at full capacity. My understanding is, and I was here on the weekend of May 22nd for the Kayla Ramirez fight, which had social distancing uh, protocols, and they didn't have full capacity. For this particular event tomorrow, Whoever wants a ticket up to whatever the capacity is will be allowed in. And honestly, as I walk around this venue here and go around the bars and the eateries, everything seems to be as it was, let's say, about 16 months ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, we need it. We need it. Boxing had such a weird schedule during the pandemic, and now I feel like there's this mad rush to start booking big fights and a lot of them here in Vegas, so it's very cool. No, it is. And what's going to happen going into the next few weeks July is a relatively light month, though, Steve, but there's going to be weekends, and, and today is actually one of them. Yeah. Um, and this weekend with the Gervonta Davis fighting in Atlanta and then obviously the fight that we're at here in Las Vegas, specific weekends are going to have two, three, sometimes even four major cards taking place on the same day. So you talked about the schedule. There's going to be an influx of fight cards, and it, it brings about the question, does boxing realize that Fridays also work for the sport of boxing? Right. I think that's one of the issues we're probably going to have to deal with uh, down the line. Steve Kim is with us, a legendary boxing voice. He's not that old, but he's legendary. Uh, let's talk about uh, some of these fights. You just mentioned Davis, but in this 135-140 range, it's a good weekend. Uh, Lomachenko is back against Nakatani. Massive favorite, but there's so much on the line for Lomachenko in terms of future fights and also uh, avenging his loss against Lopez. You know, and this is not an easy fight. Stylistically, I was there ringside when Nakatani really pushed Teofimo Lopez to the edge back there. I believe it was in Maryland, and that was a fateful night where Maxim Dadashoff lost his life after his fight. I don't think it's an easy fight. I don't think the odds reflect how difficult it is. And as we saw last week with Jamal Charlo, you can win a fight lopsided on the scorecards, but it could still be a very, very difficult fight. There's at least, I think, a four-and-a-half, five-inch height difference. And one thing about Nakatani, he has that classic Japanese toughness. He's very tall, very lean, lanky, and he's durable. So now you also have a, a situation with Lomachenko where he's coming off a right shoulder surgery, a lot of miles on the odometer from an extended amateur career. He's gone through various surgeries. 
we don't know where he's at. I think tomorrow night is going to be a real barometer of exactly where he is. And you're right, Steve. There's a lot on the line because there's been a lot of rumbling from Tom Frank, Bob Arum. I'm sure you've read the quotes that as Teofimo Lopez returns to the uh, promotional entity of Tom Frank, they would like to do a fall pay-per-view the rematch between Teofimo and Lomachenko, but things have been clouded now because of Teofimo coming down with the COVID-19. The fight last week was postponed, and my understanding is, I've been told by several forces, he is not going to come back August 14th. Instead, plans are now, Steve, is to place him as the co-feature to Oscar De La Hoya's no. exhibition bout on September 11th. Really? Yes, you... and, that, and that, by the way, Oscar was telling media members a couple days ago that that's going to be at the home of the Raiders, Allegiant Stadium. Wait a second. <laughs> really? Is that right? Yes. Come on. Okay. So the uh, autumn wind is a golden boy. Do <laughs> the music. Got the music? I love that music. Get some Fender going. Anyway. It's the best. Steve Kim is with us. Um, all right. I, I, I'll I admit, I have an interest, and I know uh, DLH is super old. I do have an interest in these crossover fights when it's an MMA guy and, you know, a guy like De La Hoya. We saw Anderson Silva actually want to fight. Now, you know, it's against Chavez Jr., who just doesn't take this stuff that seriously. Where are you on these crossover fights? Do they drive you freaking nuts or you're, like, kind of intrigued? You know, I, I think, you know, it's that old line from Larry Merchant uh, about things in boxing. Ain't nothing going to kill it. Ain't nothing going to save it. You know, I think a lot of this happens because boxing does not do a great job of servicing its, its fans on a consistent basis. Um, if they were to produce fights like Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, let's say Tank Davis against Ryan Garcia, fights that really matter. And I'm not saying that there aren't good fights on the schedule, because there are. But there's not enough of the fights that need to happen that happen enough or consistently where the boxing fans are uh, or, or satisfied, and then you create a new generation of fans. Say what you want about these YouTube fights, because that is a version of these crossover fights that we're talking about. Yeah. They bring a natural following. They don't really need to promote in the boxing realm, and so you can make the argument that they're bringing a new audience to the sport. You know, as it relates to the MMA and boxing fights, you know, I'm I'm kind of lukewarm on it. I think some of them are more intriguing than the other. I don't know how sustainable it is. I think it is a bit of a fad. And it'll be interesting because, look, the Tyson-Roy Jones event kind of kicked off this new era of this, uh, going past Mayweather-McGregor, obviously. And that was on Thanksgiving weekend. It did better than expected business on a situation where the country was still locked down. It was a holiday weekend. And... They, they caught something. They're like, wow, this can actually work. Mm. And now we're seeing an influx of these type of cards. And even Floyd Mayweather jumped back in a couple of weeks ago in Miami. But I, I get the sense everything returns to normal at a certain point, and, and boxing's going to have to steady itself and make fights. And, but it's so fractured, Steve. It's so divided. I, I don't know if we can ever get to that place of, of true utopia, which has never really mm. been, in all fairness. Mm. But those things, to me, um, they, they, they are for S's and giggles. But I don't think it's going to save boxing, and again, I don't think it's the ruinization of it either. So we, we do the show with a, another, a younger friend of ours, John, who uh, yeah, Von Tobel at Visa. Yeah, he he. But he he was making the case that this is saving boxing for like people his age who are now totally into it and love it. And I said, no, you don't love boxing; you love the spectacle that's going on. But like, is there is there a way for the boxing world to figure out how to 
connect with those fans that are watching. Like, hey, this is kind of cool. People are punching each other in the face. Oh, I can actually watch professionals do this. Like, is there a way to like bridge that? You know, the question that that's an interesting point. Is there a happy medium, or let's say you could have three or four or five or six quote unquote real fights for guys like you and me and Harry Hardcore, and then can you add a couple of spectacle events that cater more towards the casual or younger audience? Like, look, I'm old enough to remember. Look, and let's be real, this is not something that's new. I remember a lot of De La Hoya undercards featured Butterbean and <laughs> Mia St. John, and I used to hate it. But maybe they, but they were, you know, reasonably affordable for the promoter, and a lot of casual fans that watch an Oscar De La Hoya but nobody else, or a Mike Tyson or nobody else, or a Manny Pacquiao or nobody else, they might be more intrigued by that. So there is something to that that maybe these events uh, or these particular fights that could be described as novelty bouts being of some benefit towards the sport, I I, I don't completely dismiss that. I I will admit, as someone that would just rather watch quote-unquote real fights, look, these other fights, I've actually gotten a kick out of some of these fights, too. They, they, They do provide some entertainment. Highly recommend the Lomachenko fight. As uh, Steve said, uh, you know, no limits now on capacity, and that's a great spot over Virgin. Uh, really one of the best boxing venues in town. You're right on top of the ring, uh, really, no matter where you are, in uh, what they're now calling the theater. Uh, so the other Saturday fight in Atlanta, is is Davis at any risk? He's a minus 500 favorite in this one. You know, I, I think, in my view, Barrios is a competent, solid fighter, but there is that old saying, there's a reason why they chose him. You know, I still can't get out of my mind how he got raked over the coals by Batir Akhmadev and got a very fortunate decision on the Errol Spence, Sean Porter undercard at the Staples Center. I was there ringside for that fight thinking there was no way he won this fight. Got his hands raised in victory. He's got some physical attributes. He's significantly taller than Tank Davis. I just don't know if he'll be able to hold him off. But the other question is, Tank Davis is now technically is moving up two weight classes from his last fight when he fought at 130. Saw the way and he looked really strong. Didn't look like he struggled to make weight. I still get the sense, again, they would not have pulled the trigger on this fight if they felt Mario Barrios was that much of a threat. Right. So say we actually get a lot of these fights in that 135-140 range. Uh, you know, two years from now, who could be... Standing on top of the mountain. Is it Lomachenko, Lopez, is it Davis, is it Ryan Garcia, is it Devin Haney? My money's been on Kiyofimo Lopez since about his third or fourth fight. He is the type of guy that has unbelievable skill, very talented, and he's the most accomplished guy. If you look at his resume of all those fighters that you mentioned, taking apart or taking aside Lomachenko, who's a veteran, but the other colleagues of his, the other three younger, uh, younger fighters, he beat Richard Comey, solid world champion. He beat Nakatani, gave him his only loss. And then when you beat Lomachenko in what is essentially what your 15-16 fight and do it, I think, pretty clearly, that's a huge feather in his cap. A lot of these guys are about potential, what could be the upside. Kipimo right now has the best resume by far. I, I hope that his business situation is settled because I think this has been a lost year. Let's face it, coming off a of Lomachenko win the very next year, you might only fight once. To me, that's not the way you build a star. It, 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 to me, I think they made this into such a business that there was no sport. 
and hopefully he'll be recovered and he could fight in September and then resume his life with top rank. But my money's always been on Teofimo Lopez. Steve, tell the Vegas audience uh, who isn't listening already about the podcast. Well, the podcast is just the two guys talking boxing, and you can find it at all the broad, uh, podcast platforms. The name is the Three Knockdown Rules, short and sweet. Uh, last night's show uh, was uh, a little bit more than an hour. We talked about everything else, uh, give commentary on pop culture uh, issues, and a lot of boxing. Before we close it out, I got, uh, you know, I'm a fight fan, right? I got, I got decent money for one fight coming up in Vegas of the, of the two big fights at T-Mobile. What do I buy? Do I buy Wilder and Fury or do I buy Pac-Man and Spence? I would buy Pac-Man and Spence for one reason. We haven't seen that before, and it could be the last time we see a legendary fighter in Manny Pacquiao. Uh, Fury, Wilder, Wilder have a shot? I think first three rounds are very, very intriguing. They could be explosive. Uh, I'm intrigued by the new union that Wilder has formed with Malik Scott. I want to see if anything can significantly change. But um, it's trending in one direction. But Deontay Wilder, when you can punch like that with the right hand, I guess you always have a shot. But I just get the sense that Fury is the more natural, better fighter. Steve, glad you're in town, man. Have a good time. I'm glad to see a lot of fights are coming back now. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good weekend. There he is, Steve Kim. Three Knockdown Rolly does a podcast with a big fight fan and kind of a star. Mario Lopez. Steve's awesome, though. Mm -hmm. We've been talking to Steve for like, well, I don't know what it is now, 15, 17 years. Yeah. He's great, and he's got a real edge to him. You know, he, he calls it like it is. And I was actually surprised that he's a little bit open to watching some of these crossover spectacle fights. Three o'clock hours on the way. On the way back, I do want to address the DLH exhibition. Now having potentially a powerhouse real fighter, you know, in his prime on the card. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.